ladies. All right, let's take our Bibles, turn over the book of Luke, chapter 2 today. Again, much to accomplish as we look forward to uh, our annual business meeting as well later on. But uh, let's get to the Word of God right now, Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> We're going to begin in verse 25 and read through verse 29. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 39. Right, the Bible simply says there, And behold, <clears throat> there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, <clears throat> waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, <clears throat> of the tribe of Aser, and she was of great age, had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In verse 25, <clears throat> we see a word there. The word is consolation. It's used together with the word of Israel. So consolation of Israel. This man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon, he was a just and a devout man, the Bible says. And in this particular case, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What it was basically saying is that he is waiting for the Messiah. He's looking forward to the Savior. He remembers what he learned in rabbinical school. He understands and remembers what he had been taught as a child. He realizes that there is one coming by the name of Jesus Christ. One that would ultimately be Emmanuel, God with us. And so he's looking, he's searching, he's keeping his eye out for this consolation of Israel. And of course, Jesus Christ shows up. See, Simeon and Anna, the two that we spoke of here in our passage, they recognized Jesus as the Christ. They understood He was Messiah. They realized that He was the ultimate anticipated King who would establish the throne of David on earth and rule and reign in Jerusalem. Then they shared that news with others. 
It's interesting to note that once they met the master uh, and they had seen Jesus Christ for themselves, that they began to share him with others. But obviously, it didn't bring quite a stir. It didn't really seem to get anybody riled up. Nobody got really excited. You say, how do you know that? Well, it seems that Joseph and Mary took their baby and just left the city. I don't know about you, but if I found out the Messiah had showed up, I think I'd want to say, hey, why don't you stay in the city for a little while? We would like to worship him too. Probably something like maybe the wise men did. But they found them their way right out of the city. Nobody seemed to stop them. Nobody put the brakes on. And so we have here Simeon and Anna recognizing the Savior, realizing there has been a supernatural birth. But unfortunately, many had no idea what had transpired and took place. Many knew nothing about it. What we learn is that the birth of Jesus Christ came rather inconspicuously. That he was born, and very few people even realized who he was or the purpose that he came. Very few recognized his birth, his arrival, his coming. Although many were supposedly looking, although many had been taught that he would come, when he did show up, they missed it. They missed it. Why? They weren't looking in the right place. They expected to find a king, not some babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They were looking for someone that was in a royal robe and someone that would have a scepter in his hand, someone that would have a crown on his head. They were looking for someone, just not him. The shepherds were told, take your Bible if you would, look over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The Bible says there, it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What a wonderful thing. I mean, he is, as the Bible says, born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. And his name, Christ the Lord. Pretty clear, pretty clear. Once they had confirmed the birth of Jesus Christ and they had seen them with their own eyes, they went abroad telling everyone. They went abroad telling others. As a matter of fact, in Luke 2, 17 and 18, it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But again, notice the response, or lack thereof. I mean... Those that were informed by the shepherd concerning the birth of Christ, they were Israelites. They had grown up with the hope of one day being delivered by this Messiah. They had been once again taught, trained, instructed in the fact that Jesus Christ would come. Messiah would come. A king would come and ultimately rule and reign on the throne of David. They sought a savior. They sought a Messiah. And yet, when they were told of his birth, they wondered at those things. 
They may have been moved. They may have even been stirred. However, they weren't impressed enough to be moved to action. These were the same Israelites that had studied the Old Testament prophecies. They had sought or heard and hoped of a fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that Emmanuel means God with us. But they were taught this. They read this in their, the passages of the Old Testament. They had sought hundreds of years before, been given instruction and told, this is what's going to happen. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And when it did arrive, when the time came, and that great supernatural birth took place, they missed it. They missed it. These were the same Israelites that were reminded regularly, regularly of the identity and even some of the attributes of the coming king. Look, if you will, at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. <clears throat> when this Messiah comes, he's going to be an amazing man. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, some of his attributes and his identity are revealed. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, For unto us <clears throat> a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, notice again, he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Those are some pretty amazing characteristics. I mean, he's the Everlasting Father. So this Jesus, this one promised in Isaiah 7, 14 would come. He would be Messiah, but he'd be more than just a baby, be more than just a man. He'd be God-man. He would literally be God, the creator of the universe. And as they awaited him and they sought for him, they had eyes open supposedly. But I got to believe, like us, in many cases, they found themselves a little bit overwhelmed with their activity. They found themselves a little busy in the world. They found themselves trying to get to work and get home and ramming and running and buying Christmas presents and taking care of all the things that have to take place. And next thing you know, bam, he shows up and they missed it. A miraculous A supernatural birth missed. It seems that the majority missed this important birth and arrival. And throughout history, I believe that's often been the case. Take the year 1809, for instance. The international scene was tumultuous or very, very um, bad. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Napoleon was sweeping across Australia. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody cared about babies at that point in history, but the world was overlooking some very significant births. For example, William Gladstone was born that year. He was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. 
That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. Again, that little child would one day affect the literary world in a marked manner. On the American continent, a man by the name of Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not too far away in Boston, another gentleman by the name of Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic, life. It was also in this same year that a physician by the name of Darwin and his dear wife named their child Charles Robert. At that same year, that same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County. Hardin County, Kentucky. That baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. Napoleon is crossing Australia. Napoleon is taking ground. And all that is read in the, the, the tabloids, everything that's on the heading of every newspaper and every television program at the time, so to speak, it has to do with Napoleon. Nobody cares about an insignificant child being born. Nobody cares about what's taking place in a manger. But what they did care about was their life, their present, their now. And they missed the birth of ultimately the very ones that would change the future. And so often, if we're not careful, we, we do that with, they did that with Jesus Christ, and we do that even today, where we live, and where, what, in, in our lifetime. If there had been news broadcast, I'm sure that people would have said, the destiny of the world is being shaped on an Australian battlefield today. But there was nothing further from the truth. History actually was shaped in a cradle. Isn't that amazing? Shaped in a cradle. Cradles in England and cradles in America. Everyone in Jesus' day thought that taxation was the big news. All the world's being taxed. Can't afford to pay our taxes, and if we do, we still have to travel across the country to pay those taxes. Man, this is horrible. This is ridiculous. I've got a wife that's pregnant. I've got a. I mean, the taxation would have been the big news. But what was really big was a cradle, a cradle, and there the baby Jesus was born, the birth of a Savior that would transform and change our world. Isn't it wonderful to know Him, to have our sin forgiven? To know that although we deserve hell and although we really have nothing to offer this great Savior, this God, this Creator, He is still loving toward us. Amazing. Simply amazing. In our lives, it's so tempting to allow the many events of our generation to overshadow the significant births that are taking place. I wonder who's in the cradle this Christmas Eve. Who will be in the cradle this Christmas Eve? I wonder. I wonder who will shape the future of America or our world these next few days as we lead up to Christmas. I mean, certainly there are those who could and indeed will. I wonder which of our youngsters, our teens possibly, even amongst us today, will be the next D.L. Moody. Possibly the next Charles Spurgeon or Jonathan Edwards. 
who knows, maybe a George Mueller or a Charles Finney or a Fanny Crosby or a Lee Robertson or a Jack Kyles or a John R. Rice. I just wonder, I, I wonder today. But we get so wrapped up in what's going on around us, we can't see the cradle or the circumstances. Well, we need to be very aware of the cradle. When we consider important births, when's the last time you considered the birth of a soul as important? Even as most miss the significance of the Lord's birth, I'm convinced and sad to say that we may fail to understand the significance of the new birth. Someone gets saved around us and, well, we take it for granted. Someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and accepts Him as Lord of their life and we say, well, we'll see. And Jesus Christ is doing a marvelous work in lives and when someone comes to Christ, it is a significant birth. It's something that ought to get us excited when we think about Christ in a manger, when we think about Him coming to the earth and ultimately growing up to live a life of perfection and die on a cross to save our souls. It should excite us, but it also should excite us when someone gets saved by that same Savior. It's a new birth, a supernatural birth, and it ought to excite us. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a significant birth. A spiritual birth. A birth that offers and extends eternal life. This is not just religion. This is not just something we do. This is about a person, Jesus Christ. It's about Him in our life. And it's about the change that He brings. It's about the hope that He gives. And it's about the future that He extends. See, that new birth brings a new nature in the lives that have been born again. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 2 Peter 1.4. Again, that new birth brings a new nature in the lives of those born again. In the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 4, <clears throat> we read, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the, what's it say there? Divine nature. Say it with me together, those two words. The what? The divine nature. Did you see that? The divine nature. You become a partaker of the divine nature. That's the God nature. That's an amazing statement. Amazing promise. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says that by these, these precious promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. When a person comes to Christ and is born again, he or she receives the divine nature. Literally, God lives in them. It's an amazing thought. That's why the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. He has the divine nature. He's a new creature. Not only the new birth brings a new nature, but it also, the new birth, 
includes the new convert and a new family. Look at John chapter 1, verse 12. The new convert is included in a new family. That's pretty awesome. David said, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. David felt like he was part of another family. God, his father. Notice what it says here in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Last I checked, if you're a son in a family, you're part of a family. I, I, I mean, God's my father. I'm his son. I'm in his family. <clears throat> I, I, I dread the idea of losing any of my family in death. I, I don't want that to ever happen. And yet we know if we live long enough, it's going to. But I, de- I do know for, for a fact, biblically, scripturally, that I have a father in heaven. I am a part of a new family, another family, the family of God. Many of you are in my family. If you know Christ, you're part of my family and I'm part of your family. Because we're all in God's family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Together, we are part of the family of God. We better learn to get along like it then, right? We're all part of the same family. got to put up with one another. Deal with one another. Do brothers and sisters fight? You didn't grow up in my house if you think they didn't. And brothers fighting and sisters fighting. I mean, I'm not talking about necessarily. We didn't necessarily come to physical blows and blood all the time. Unless I said all the time. But you know, things happen. I've told the story a few times, but I still remember me and my brother getting into it upstairs in our bedroom. And my dad wasn't really keen to that kind of stuff. He'd come running up the steps. Man, he jumped in the middle and threw my brother against the wall and slammed me against the wall and said, Man, who's going to fight in this house? It's going to be me. <laughs> whoa, whoa, some of you, some of you, you know, moms would be, oh, please, please don't hurt my babies. <laughs> Let me tell you something, though. He stopped the fight. I was actually pretty glad because my brother was a little tougher, I think, than I was at the time, but I didn't want him to know that. Of course, it only lasts for about 10 minutes, and then after that, I was tougher than him forever. <clears throat> but the fact is, is that my dad, he didn't want to put up with that. But you know what? Unfortunately, even in the family of God, we bicker and we complain, we fight sometimes. And sometimes people, when we've not kept, we've got to understand, people look at us and say, I thought you were supposed to be Christians. I thought you are supposed to be kind and loving and accepting. And you know what? They're right. And we have a responsibility to make sure that people see that in us. And the fact is, is that there may be a temptation to want to duke it out, so to speak, and to want to go at it one with another. But the fact is, is as children of God, we need to learn to depend on our father and our our mother and say, hey, if anybody's going to fight, it'll be God. I'm going to turn them over to God. I'm going to let God have control of them. I'm not going to take matters in my hands. I'll let him deal with them. And then we save his reputation and ours at the same time. The world can see God and Christ through us and in us. It's tempting though, isn't it? That new birth brings a new nature. It includes the new convert and a new family. But also that new birth provides the new convert with a new home. A new home. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 21. 
I just want you to know that none of my children ever fought. Not with each other. They loved each other. Perfect, perfect children. Perfect children. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Wait a second. I'm waiting for the lightning to strike. Revelation chapter 21. 21 verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Listen, you know, aren't you glad that this isn't just some story? Amen. <laughs> this is going to happen. This is prophecy. This is going to happen. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. A new heaven and a new earth, but there will be a new Jerusalem. A new home. I don't know if you're satisfied with the home you live in. I trust that you're content in whatsoever state you are, according to the Word of God. But let's face it, I mean, our homes have some moving parts, so to speak. Water heaters and, and, and furnaces and windows and all these things that have to be intact and working well if our home is going to stay warm and dry and provide us the stability and the safety that we want. Not everyone has a place that's as nice as others. But may I say that the believer, the one that comes to Jesus Christ, that man or woman that puts their faith in the Lord, they are going to have a new home. Not only will they have heaven, but they'll have new Jerusalem. And the Bible says that there'll be mansions there, and we'll each have our own mansion. So that'll be a pretty boring time. No, it won't be boring at all. There'll be plenty to do. But the fact is, is that we're going to have a new home. And as he says in verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. We'll never have to deal with the separation of death anymore. This is a very difficult time for many people. If they've endured death, separation of loved ones, going on to the other side, this is a difficult time, Christmas, the holiday season, difficult time. But there is a new home. And there's a place one day where there'll be no more tears because there will be no more death, no sorrow, Neither shall there be any more pain. I don't know about you again, but boy, I look forward to that one. Amen. The older I get, the more pain it seems that creeps into my body. I know I look like a living specimen of perfection, but the reality is, is this old body's cracking and crunching. 
I thought Jacqueline, I read on Jacqueline the other day, and he was 96 years old when he died, from what I recall. 96. I mean, the guy swam across, uh, I can't remember what it was, but he went from Alcatraz to, 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 um, uh, to San Francisco, pulling a 1,000-pound boat and having his arms chained. Can you imagine that? I think the last time he did it was when he was 60. 60. The guy looked amazing. Not that I envy him or anything, but he looked amazing. 60, can you imagine that? That's amazing. Jacqueline. I'm a little bit younger than quite a bit than that, but I still feel it. I've been complaining all week about a pain in the back of my neck running right. Don't you? Some of you thought about you. You thought my wife is who I was talking about, didn't you? I'm going to tell her you thought that. I would have never called her a pain in the neck. But anyway, I had this pain in my neck right here, and it runs up into my head. I don't know. I, my wife keeps telling me it's stress. I don't know why I'd be stressed. But the fact is, is that I feel that right up there. It gets, goes right up into my head. I've been doing that all the time. i even taking a few Advil every once in a while. I won't have to worry about that no more. Amen. We go to the nursing home and there's ladies and men there that are st- stuck in wheelchairs. They won't have to worry about that anymore. Eyesight going. Ears going. Won't have to worry about that no more. A new home. A new body. A new Jerusalem. What an important birth salvation is. When you consider that you receive the new nature, that you become part of a new family, that you have a new home, that's a pretty amazing birth. <clears throat> Luke fifteen ten says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Yes, amen. In December 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. They were thrilled, so thrilled that they telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local newspaper and showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. Can you imagine that? I mean, in the message they sent, it said that we've actually flown 120 feet, literally off the ground, 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. He said, isn't that nice? The boys will be home for Christmas. He totally missed the big news. Man had flown. He missed it. How many Christians missed the big news? Even as many missed the big news when Jesus was born. I want you to know it's big news every time somebody walks an aisle and gets saved. It's big news every time one of them teenagers and that youth class Come to Jesus Christ. It's big news when every one of any one of them children says, Listen, I understand I'm a sinner and I want Jesus to save me. It's big news 
when we're at a door and we're sharing the gospel and someone says, I, I want to hear, I want to know, and we open our Bible and share the promises of God and they say, I want Jesus in my heart. That's big news. It's big news. When someone comes to Jesus Christ and gets the new nature, becomes part of a new family, Big news. Big news. How big is it to you? How excited do you get when someone gets saved? I think it can become rather mundane. It gets old, maybe. It shouldn't, but it can. Brother Fred ran in today. He was just in prison, where he belongs. <clears throat> But he was at the prison, Lorraine prison today, and he said 114 men, was it? 102 came to the meeting. He said 14 of them trusted Christ, correct? Man, he was fired up. He was excited. I mean, he wasn't even touching the ground when he was walking. That's some big news. Brother Rick came in today and we prayed together before the service and he said, he was praying and he said, thank the Lord for that 15-year-old that he had the privilege of leading to Christ today during the bus time. Amazing. I don't know how many others came to Christ. I don't know who else trusted the Lord. But let me tell you, that's big news. Someone says, we don't want to run them buses. They're not worth running. They cost so much money. They're not worth investing in. But the lives that we pick up are worth investing in. The souls that we reach are worth investing in. The futures that we spare and save from a devil's hell are worth every penny that we put into the ministry. I can't think of anything better to spend my money on than souls. Something that will go on into eternity. Don't miss the big news. Soul winning is big news to God. It ought to be big news to us. Let's never, never become callous or cold at hearing about a soul being saved. I think if we're not careful, we kind of look around us and say, well, I've heard of others being saved, and where are all the souls that were saved, and I just don't see where they're all at. And Well, let me ask you, did you get saved? Were you worth getting excited about? Oh, I think every soul is worth getting excited about. We'll let God wade through all of the did I mean it or didn't they mean it thing. But boy, new births are big business with God. Big deals. Jesus' birth was a big deal. But so is every one of our spiritual births. And every one of those in need of it. May we be bold with the gospel. And may we believe like Jesus did. That supernatural births are a big deal. Don't miss the big news. Father, we come to you. We thank you again.